0: I'm Andrew and I'm Spencer and you're listening to the at a distance podcast from the slowdown today We'll be speaking with dr. Alejandro younger a los angeles-based cardiologist adrenal fatigue expert and detoxification Specialist
1: dr. Younger is the best-selling author of clean and clean seven and the founder of clean a 21-day detoxification experience He also developed the goop vitamin and supplemental protocol Why am I so effing tired?
0: As Bessel van der Kolk told us on episode two, to befriend your body and be kind to your body is the first order of business. Dr. Younger knows how to help us do this. Let's get him on the line. Hi, Dr. Younger. Welcome to At A Distance. It's so great to have you with us today.
2: Yeah, so good to be here.
0: I wanted to start with this notion that we're so focused on the pandemic that is COVID-19, but at the same time, we're experiencing all these other species-wide issues. There are many pandemics, so to speak. Do you think that there are connections, given the work that you do, between COVID-19 and chronic diseases?
2: So there's definitely a connection. And the the most obvious one, you know, in in, in concept is that we are not living according to nature's rules. We have Mm. departed from the ways of nature. And that manifests in many ways as problems. Like, for example, if it's true that coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2, right, which is the virus, COVID-19 is the disease, right? So if it's true that this comes from a bat that maybe was transferred to a pangolin or, or a snake and then jumped to humans, that alone, that contact with other species as it, as it happens, is anti- anti-natural, right? Mm. But there's another way in which this expresses itself, which is in the way that we live and eat and drink, what we eat and drink, how often we do it all the environments that we created for our, ourselves that in general are loaded with toxins that alone or in combination cause some kind of physiological dysfunction. So that's also anti-natural, and that in itself lowers the ability of our immune system to fight off infections, right? But it's also triggered part of the immune system, which is the inflammatory system, mm is triggered because of the way that we live and also the stress and there's so many factors that that end up making the immune system focus so much on on so many things that the body is reacting against that when one more comes, it just breaks the camel's back.
0: Connected to this, a uh, large problem that's been growing for some time in this country is obesity. According to data released by the C D C just a couple months ago, the obesity rate was at forty two point four percent in twenty seventeen, eighteen. How do you think obesity relates to this conversation and beyond that to other health threats like cancer?
2: So obesity is a is a chronic inflammatory also disease. And just like we've seen in the news the people that are the worst affected or have the worst manifestations of the infection are the ones with underlying disease, obesity being one of them, right? But what does obesity have in common with the other ones, with chronic heart disease and cancers and autoimmune problems, right? Is that the body is working on adapting and defending itself in such a way that it impairs other functions,
0: mm.
2: the immune system being one of them. Now, specifically related to the toxic planet that we're living in, there's one factor about obesity that nobody is really talking about, which is, everybody talks about the calorie intakes and the type of food and the and nutrigenomics, and, but there's one aspect of it, which is that obesity, in a way, could be seen as a defense an adaptation mechanism that the body puts itself through to buffer the irritation of the toxins that we're exposed to, which 90% of them are lipophilic, they only dissolve in fat. So when we are consuming all these foods and chemicals that we put on our skin and everything that ends up with chemicals in our blood, 90% of which are only dissolvable in fat, the body, in order to buffer that irritation, because the liver cannot keep up with it because of other problems, in order to buffer that irritation, the body generates and retains fat. So obesity, in a way, is a defense mechanism. Mm. So without addressing the overload and backlog of toxic chemicals, it's very difficult and maybe even counterproductive to make somebody just shed fat without really enhancing the detoxification part of the body.
0: Mm. How do you think shifting the obesity curve in a downward direction in this country would impact our healthcare system?
2: You're focusing on obesity, right? But I see obesity as one of the chronic diseases that, Mm. that shifting would put us in a much better place. Because we know now that maybe 90% of the people that are infected, nobody knows the exact number, but the more we, get, we test, the more we're gonna find out what the percentage of people that are infected have symptoms, but a grand majority don't ever find out that they had the infection, no symptoms whatsoever. So why is it that those people, which are much more yeah. than the people that do suffer symptoms, what is happening with them? We know then that the human immune system can deal with this virus, right? What is happening to the ones that are not dealing with the virus? Well, We need to take a look and understand a little better, Mm. but it is very safe to assume and to say that the better we address the chronic diseases of the modern world, obesity being one of them, the more of an impact we're gonna have on things like a pandemic. Mm.
1: So much has to do with the narrative. I mean, you and others like Frank Littman have been such a proponent of changing the language about how we think about these things. Diet, you know, these sort of um, words that make people kind of scared of these things. How much do you think the media is playing a role in proliferating these sorts of problems with people's relationship to food?
2: So that's a charged and, and, and <laughs> important question because the media in this country, especially. Place to either side of, of the political parties. And there's so many other interests other than the safety and well-being of, of our people that I just don't know what to think anymore. I, I watch the news a little bit like a horror circus, you know, not really to get my information. But yeah, definitely the media is playing a role. And I think in many ways, a negative one.
1: Right and and what are you doing what are your efforts in terms of how you think about the language that you talk about your programs and and the way you talk about nutrition to try and shift that so it's not a kind of quick fix but a more of a lifestyle change So if
2: you look at what I've been doing all my Instagram posting all my social media engagement is about really trying to bring the ball down and get a bigger picture and understand that coronavirus and all the other diseases that we're suffering from are mostly diseases of lifestyle. So I tell people you want immunity, don't focus so much on hydrochloroquine or, or even vitamin C or, you know, focus more on what you have in your kitchen, because the biggest part of what your immune system depends on is what you eat Mm. and what you don't eat. Right? So immunity starts in the kitchen. And you cannot supplement or meditate your way out of a bad diet. (laughs) So if you don't start there, then, you know, forget about a a little more zinc, a little less zinc in a body that's completely inflamed for other reasons. Yeah, it's going to help, but it's not going to have that positive effect that we wish when we're taking all these supplements. Is that, well, Corona is not going to, you know, knock me down.
1: Speaking from experience, I did your 21-day clean program in January, and it was amazing. And the thought of doing it again right now scares me a little bit, and I think others that I've spoken to, basically because right now we want sort of this idea of comfort, right? And there's discomfort in these sort of cleanses. Can you maybe speak to why this might be the right time to be doing a cleanse? So I
2: wouldn't generalize
1: that everybody should be doing a cleanse, right? Right. Yeah, of course not
2: the vast majority of people will benefit from enhancing or creating the conditions for the detoxification system to enhance its function and really fulfill it optimally, right? And the detoxification system is not disconnected from things. So when you're doing things to improve the detoxification system, you are also doing things to improve the gastrointestinal system, digestive system, immune system, they all go together. You know, If the immune system is very busy fighting your own tissues in an autoimmune disease. The immune system is like, a, it's like an army. And if all its soldiers are deployed in this battle, there's not going to be enough soldiers to deploy to this other battle. Not only that, all the weapons, all the antioxidants, all the nutrients, all the, the bioflavonoids, all the polyphenols, all the things that we know the immune system needs as weapons and tools and transport, right? If that is being exhausted, by an inflammatory system that's turned on because it's reacting to every food that you eat or some of the foods that you eat, then you're not gonna be in good shape Hmm. immunologically speaking either.
1: Do you think one of the benefits of this time is that we're actually all forced to be at home and to cook? And um, because of that, do you think it's creating a kind of a new relationship to food?
2: I, I wouldn't generalize either. Some people are at home And they are going to comfort foods and pizza and bagels and ice cream and couching. and So I wouldn't say that everybody is doing it. But I think a lot of people are and are thinking, you know, wow, this is an opportunity to actually learn some things that would benefit and definitely cooking your own meals and preparing your own meals, Mm. eating as a family. It's a great thing.
0: Mm. What have you been eating What's been your primary sort of diet during this time at home?
2: Even though I know and I teach about these things and I know what's good for everybody, I myself, I'm guilty of not following 100% what I know is good for me, right? Especially when I was going through certain changes in my life that were a little stressful. And I had kind of dropped the ball a few years ago after an accident that I had and I ended up in a wheelchair for months mm. and um, couldn't exercise anymore. And then I, I just gave up and I was like, you know, it was funny because my friends would say, well, you, you teach people to, to eat in a certain way, but you're not doing it now. <laughs> and in January, even before the, the pandemic arrived, I decided I had enough. I want to go back to, to my good habits. Mm. So I started really applying one of the main principles that I apply, which is eat real foods, not mm. food-like products, not edible stuff. You know, If it's a plant, I eat it. If it's made in a plant, I don't eat it. So nothing in a box, in a can, in a jar, in a tube. In a, mm. And that leaves me with all the plants. And what I do is I try to buy and eat the rainbow. So every different species of plant, the more variability of species and the more variability of color, the more variability of, of phytonutrients and the more chances that first your gut flora will thrive because the gut flora thrives on variability and fiber which is mostly plants and the second thing is that once those nutrients once those polyphenols and bioflavol they go in your blood they actually are not only building blocks to make you or parts of different processes and and chemical reactions in your body they are actually also information and they will inform your genetic what we used to call dark matter you know which is 95% of your, of your genetic we didn't know what they were for because we couldn't yeah. find the connection between certain genes and a protein or a function, right? Now we know that that's where all the regulation and, and modulation happens, and the things that modulate which genes express themselves and which ones not and at what intensity mm. are actually the foods that you eat and the nutrients that you eat. So it's really important, and this is the whole basis of the new science of epigenetics.
1: Mm. How do you feel since January, since you made that change?
2: Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I feel uh, like my old self.
0: <laughs> <laughs> From the perspective of the foods that you were talking about that you avoid, I mean, we we have such a massive industrialized food system here in the United States, but really worldwide. And a lot of the problems to it are kind of coming to light right now. We're seeing that with with meat shortages and how food is processed and produced. What can we learn from this? What can we learn in terms of how we think about our food systems?
2: In a way, it's kind of uh, ironic, right? Because if you say, well, how would you have nature teach us about the excesses that we're living and the waste that we're throwing away in terms of food. Mm -hmm. Create a pandemic and and, and keep everybody at home and close all the businesses. I mean, of course it's tragic from a social economic point of view, but but it's also a great opportunity for humanity to wake up and hopefully not go back full force like the politicians are saying, but go back with a smarter outtake, right? Unfortunately, that's not guaranteed.
1: Mm. Do you think this moment provides an opportunity to think in ways to rebuild when we come out of this that serve all society? Like, should the government be stepping in with more long-view solutions to healthcare that involve functional medicine? And do you think it ultimately makes economic sense for them?
2: You know, uh, have you read Mark Hyman's latest book, Foot Fix? No. He really goes into the politics and the and the regulations and the legislation of what could be done. That's not my strength.
1: Yeah, I'm not suggesting that you know the path out of it, but in terms of a society that could serve its people better, shouldn't functional medicine be rising up more and more?
2: This is the mission in, of my life, you know, to bring... More awareness of functional medicine, but not only functional medicine. I consider myself an open-minded doctor, right? I think that me- all medicines are medicine, not this one is medicine and this one is alternative medicine. Right? Medicine is is what we do to help people transition from from dysfunction to function, from disease and well-being, right? So I don't lock myself into Western medicine, functional mm-hmm. medicine. Everything has incredible tools. Now, the way, the framework of thinking of functional medicine happens to be really helpful mm. to get to the root cause of problems, as opposed to silencing symptoms, which is what modern medicine is really good at, which is really useful during acute problems, but not so useful during chronic problems. Mm. 90% of the problems that we are suffering as, as a species are chronic problems. And cutting pieces of the body and silencing symptoms with medications, sometimes necessary, but um, not the best solution. That's where functional medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, naturopathic medicine, chiropractic medicine, all these other modalities come in and they all offer incredible tools. And that's what I see my mission as, to find tools in not only East and West, but also in ancient and modern. Mm.
1: Yeah, we've lost a lot. I mean, in, in other sectors outside of health, there's so much that's been lost in modern society and health has certainly seen that. One of the last things we wanted to ask you about was what you think the lasting effects may be from this sort of collective trauma. Do you worry that there'll be kind of emotional impacts from this period? And will people feel that in their health?
2: Of course. When you're a father, and I'm a father of three, even things that wouldn't, concern you before the kids, concern me now. So from a social instability of a recession or a depression to physical suffering and sequelae of, of the people that survive and their families and the families of the ones that died. And I mean, it's a disaster. And I I do worry about what kind of way of functioning the planet is going to find. And I hope it's one that you know, that allows our children to thrive, right? Mm. That's when I worry, when I think of what we're creating for our kids.
0: What's your greatest hope as we emerge out of this pandemic, this quarantine?
2: You know, just like when the, when the, the caterpillar, before it turns into a butterfly, it goes into a cocoon and if you look inside, you would see just everything is melted, you know, it's like disaster and chaos, right? But then something emerges which is greater than or or higher experience, you know, of living the butterfly can fly and, and so I hope that the mess that we're living now is kind of like the metamorphosis of humanity in its cocoon and something greater will emerge and I'm doing whatever I can for that
0: yeah it starts in the gut
2: it starts in the gut if you're talking about the body it starts in your home if you're talking about the nuclear family and how you're present for your kids and and what you feed them and you know so I'm doing my part
0: (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us today it was great to have you on and speak with you
2: yes thank you guys
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of At a Distance, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can follow us on Instagram at slowdown.tv. To sign up for our weekly newsletter exploring the five senses, head to our website at www.slowdown.tv.